Manhattan spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 211th annual Subliminal Session Podcast. Your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Codem Drummer Pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. It is a uh, delightful August, first week of August. Uh, you are a little over a month from age thirty-eight, Phil. Are you? Are you sweating? I'm not sweating. Yeah, it's just every every birthday gets sadder and sadder. So you know. <laughs> Is it weird, you know, I don't know if you're kind of like the younger person at work or maybe the older, but when people are, you know, maybe in their higher 20s for me and they're like, God, I'm going to be almost 30. And I'm like, bro, that's the best time of life, man. 30. Everyone's kind of grown up and everyone leaves you alone. Kind of. It's great. It is great. Actually, I was thinking just the other day. I haven't been asked to play in a pickup game of basketball in going on probably nine years now. Wow. So that's okay. pretty nice. Yeah. You think, Not since my Air Force days. You think so. you uh, could still do it? No. God, okay. no. I would injure my knee the moment I stepped out onto the court. No. <laughs> there was, <laughs> when I was going to ASU, I used to do use the gym on one of the smaller campuses that I had a class on. Uh, ASU's gym in Tempe is huge, but it's always filled with a stadium full of people. This one is on a much smaller campus, but it's the same size, so it's pretty nice. I was actually asked to play in a game with some nice Asian fellows that were out there playing, and I decided not to. For one, they were all way too good for me to play with, and two, I was worried about breaking something (laughs) if I uh, went out there, you know. They're uh, they're big man in the center, both sides, shorter than me, but very wide. So I was worried about getting some of that Charles Barkley uh, hip action put into me. <laughs> get, his big a- get his big ass right in you. Um, <laughs> here's my secret for people our age. Play against kids about 10 years old to, you know, 8 to 10, I would say. And then you can kind of just dominate the court and they think you're really good. That's what oh, I recommend. Yeah. yeah. Not like 13 or 14. No, 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 no. But <laughs> no, they start to go through puberty and stuff and they get tall and a little more athletic. Do not play against them. <laughs> Definitely. No. Yeah, I would say it is. So the weird thing you were talking about work, uh, it is weird because I will see people who are about five to 10 years younger than me. Think they're around my age. Then I'll see people who are exactly my age and think that they're old dudes like walking around. It's a little weird. You never quite, I suppose it's like every dude goes through this, but there's a certain time where you're kind of like in that, like just before your midlife crisis, when you don't realize you're old yet, the world hasn't ended yet. Once it ends, you know, that's when you start blowing all your money on fucking hookers and nice cars. But right now I'm at the point where I really haven't, come to the full realization yet that I am an older gentleman. 
so no you're uh you're only old if you feel old all right that's that's my motto here maybe we'd feel weird if we like got married when we were young and had children and our kids were like almost getting ready to graduate high school now i think then maybe uh we yeah, would they- be having a crisis but uh we did not take that path in life there's people who we went to school with, same grade as we are, as we were in, who uh, have children who probably are graduating this year. Yeah. So that's a little, that's a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, very scary. It's 20 years now, so they could have already been in college. That's, <laughs> oh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. But yeah. good for them. If I mean, if they only had like two kids and, you know, the second one's about to graduate from high school. Freedom. They're about to have their fucking golden years. Yeah. The years that we just had, they're going to have that pretty soon here where they were free. So. Very true. Very true. Two things. But the first thing was, I was going to tell you a little story. I was pulling out of my apartment complex <laughs> and there was a uh, dude in a Honda Civic all souped up with a hood scoop and uh, you know one of those $18 spoilers on the back, duct taped, of course. He kind of did that thing where you pull out and turn left into a two lane and he pulls around you and speeds and cuts you off. You know, yeah. did that whole song and dance. So I didn't think much of it happens all the time. I'm an old man driver, so I'm, I'm pretty, you know, pretty slow. Just kind of drive myself. It was about, I would say half a block later, just past the stoplights where I saw that same car and it was parked on the turn lane in the middle in front of another car i saw him getting out of the car walking up to the uh the other person's car the other guy gets out of his car and immediately once the door opens he jumps out and the dudes they just start fucking like throwing fists at each other like haymakers Whoa. You know? like, <laughs> rock em, sock em style no defense all offense okay so do you know <laughs> what transpired to lead to this uh Middle of the median fight. I have no idea. I'm guessing that the guy in the Honda probably cut off the other dude. The other dude was in a sedan and he had a button up shirt on. Uh, if, if he was fighting in the street, he probably was also poor. It was amazing, though, considering this is Phoenix. You would think one of them would just have a gun. So yeah, neither that, of them pulled their guns out. So that was nice. Uh, that uh, Honestly, that is I was waiting for that. I thought you're going to say guy number two came out with a gun. Yeah, no, normally you would just assume guy number two had a gun. And then the other guy just kind of, if he doesn't have a gun, just kind of backs away, you know, (laughs) backs away slowly, gets in his car and gets the fuck out of there. But no, neither of them must have had a gun. So they just fought, you know, they fought like men, which is kind of nice to see, you know. Yeah, I um, do you have I know you probably weren't there for the whole bout, but if you were a betting man, Honda Civic guy or suit guy. Who do you think won won the battle? Well, let's see. About five minutes later, I came back around because I was going to my sister's house just down the street, going to grab something, then coming back. Both cars were gone. So it must have been a quick fight. Um, I imagine they were actually both similar sizes. Uh, when the guy got out of the car, he was about, you know, the same head height as the other dude. Um, I imagine it's one of those situations where there was no clear winner or loser. There's a lot of cops who travel down that particular road. So I definitely, <laughs> I wouldn't be just out there throwing fists for, for very long out there. Okay. I thought you were going to say you came back and either there was just two corpses laying there or, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, no. maybe they decided to quit fighting and then just like started making out or something. 
<laughs> no, um, the uh, the funny thing was in my mind, I kind of as of course I didn't call cops. You know, you mind your own fucking business out here, out in the out in the wild west. Basically, I was thinking about remember that game Grand Theft Auto, I believe Vice City or maybe three. Yeah, you had cheat codes where you could make these civilians go crazy with each other. Yeah, like one little fender bender. They would get out of the car and start fighting. And then if you gave them weapons, they would start fighting with rocket launchers and grenades. And then all of a sudden, the whole neighborhood would go up in flames. You know, reminded me of that a little bit. So, OK, I'm a little jealous. I have never witness action on that level maybe one day <laughs> maybe one day yeah, i will he, with all of those internet videos you would think it would be happening in america all over the country but really you know i mean we only see all those internet videos because it happens to someone happens to have one of those the dash cams that sort of thing and oh. most of the time i mean i'm like you even here <laughs> i would totally expect a gun to come out like if they're getting out <laughs> yeah, of the car. In, yeah. Minnesota has uh some pretty laxed gun laws just like Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> a lot of a lot of country folk around here. I was also going to ask on Netflix. There's a show called Untold. It's kind of about like sports stories. I was wondering if you've seen that show. Uh yeah, some of the other ones. I think I know which one you're alluding to, but I have not the brand watched. new one. Yeah. I actually think there's three new ones coming within like this month, I think. Okay. Yeah, they, they kind of periodically drop one every now and again. One of the old favorites of mine was Malice at the Palace. I actually did an episode uh, on that because I saw it on that. Uh, this one was about Johnny Menzel. If anyone remembers Johnny Football. <laughs> yeah, he's a real fucking idiot. Yeah, it was a, it's actually a great episode. I, I I was hoping you had seen it so we could kind of talk about it a little bit, but it was a it was a good episode. Just how he got drafted into the NFL, realized he didn't give a fuck about football, and just like went crazy. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it just like a singular, like hour long episode? Yeah, no. It's it's just about him, kind of his rise through like the high school ranks uh, at Texas A and M. And then kind of how Texas A&M like sheltered him, basically made him like their cash cow. Then he got into the NFL, moved to Cleveland where it was he was bored as fuck. So he just kind of went crazy, watched zero film, did zero homework and just kind of like he his whole career was built on winging it. And it didn't yeah. quite work in the pros. Like no, it did in the, in the uh, NCAA. No, you got to you got to watch that film. Um We'll get going here with the episode, but uh, the one I'm really looking forward to is the Tim, Tim Tebow era uh, Florida Gators one that's coming out this month. And Ooh. I know <laughs> they had Aaron Hernandez there, obviously, but there's also Urban Meyer like covering up a murder, too. Um, that, (laughs) (laughs) that I'm really allegedly, allegedly, um, that I'm, uh, I gotta say, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. Oh yeah. Anything to win, baby. What happened? Oh, fuck that. (laughs) That kid gets two touchdowns on average a game. No, he's fine. Don't worry (laughs) about it. We're good. Hey, if the Minnesota Vikings head coach, Covered up a murder and we got, you know, a Super Bowl. I might look the other way. I'm just saying. Oh, shit. If he got you a Super Bowl, I know that's fine. It's 
They even what happened? Th- no, no. I'm sure he seems like a good guy. Don't yeah. worry about it. He's, He's good. Fine. He's fine. <laughs> Who's your guys' star wide receiver? Justin Jefferson. Uh Justin Jefferson could run someone over in the street. Yeah. And everyone would just like Eh, he's fine. Shrug their shoulders. The, That's the, all right. The people would literally <laughs> would literally hide the body for him. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, they would. But uh, the cops wouldn't investigate. No. But anyway, we should uh, probably get ahead and go ahead or go ahead and get in this fucking episode here, Phil. So I'm gonna let you take the reins. All right. Throughout history. The top leadership role in every society has come with a certain amount of mythology building and unearned hero worship among the ranks of people in their society. With, of course, a healthy amount of tall tales and stretches of the truth used mostly to garner faith and trust in the man that is to lead his people. However, what happens when that mythos building is not only present, but in fact being sent into overdrive? with the lies of the great leader not only permeating the culture, in actuality, becoming the main pillar of society, a state-mandated law used for the isolation and domination of its people, moving past mere hero worship and what is known as a cult of personality. Ooh, so this episode has to be, there's only two possible people <laughs> here, either Donald Trump <laughs> or... Nicholas Cage. I thought you were going to say Nick Saban. Ah. I definitely thought you were going to say Nick Saban for us. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> the Florida Gator Urban Myers, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah. It's funny. Not so much the Michigan Urban Myers, yeah. But. No, 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 no. Uh, you mean the Ohio? Was he at Ohio? Oh, Ohio State. Ohio yeah, he's State. at Ohio State. Yeah, it's yeah, the other yeah. guy who's at Michigan. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Yep. I like him because he seems like he's got quite a few, he's got screws loose, but not like covering up a murder screws loose. <laughs> he might cover up a murder. He might. So. Yeah, he, he might. He might. The loose definition for the term cult of personality is a manufactured belief system centered around one single leader to legitimize their rule, cultural and political ideologies and their preeminence and domination over their followers. This style of leadership isn't anything new to the world, as rulers have, in the past, manufactured myth and legend about themselves and their possible ties to great heroes and deities for millennia now, though the term would not become popularized until the 20th century, when these leaders would begin using modern technologies and mass media to not only spread their divine message, but mostly to integrate it into the lives of every citizen, every aspect of society with the example that we will be discussing today being possibly the most successful of any that had come before it in the modern era. And that is the Kim dynasty of North Korea. Yeah. Even uh, people who don't live in North Korea have a pretty good idea of the superhuman nature that this yes. guy uh, spreads about himself. Yeah, and we'll be getting into a little bit about kind of the, the superheroics. Uh, the guy we're mostly talking about today wasn't quite uh, the superhuman that his son would portray himself to be. He would kind of be deified after his death. But gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so he yep. 
I'm guessing the dad, he probably didn't get 18 holes in one like <laughs> <laughs> the current leader did. Yeah, actually, I think his uh, his manufacturing might be worse because uh, Kim Jong-un is kind of shaped like a Teletubby. Yeah, so I'm guessing <laughs> I'm guessing that they uh, put their propaganda into overdrive. No, today we'll be talking mostly about uh, the elder Kim, Kim ah. Osun. I was going to say, did he also make diabetes and gout seem like a cool thing to have, So, like his son? Yeah. He yeah, wasn't it's the it disease. The it yes. disease, yeah. <laughs> Only cool people in North Korea have diabetes and gout in their foot. Yeah, in a country full of starving people, uh, only the top percent have any body fat on them, and only one man, like chronically obese, especially <laughs> yeah. for yeah. a guy in his like what young thirties right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really surprised he didn't. Uh, didn't go out there and just beat all the like Dennis Rodman and then go Harlem Globetrotters or whatever uh, in basketball in front of all of his people. Surprised he didn't do that. Oh, I would love to see a game of basketball played between that whole, you know, the North Korean like national team that they have up there and like Kim Jong-un kind of like tagging himself in going out to play. Could you imagine how many times like he would basically I bet he would have the rim lowered all of those guys would just kind of like let him go. You know, you would have by law of fucking <laughs> by law, you have to feed the deer leader or certain death awaits you. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. If they're lucky, though, his heart might actually just implode on itself like it's desperately waiting to do. Oh, I'm sure all nine guys on the floor when that happens get blamed and then fucking get taken about out back and shot. Yeah. Yeah, probably. You're probably right. One guy fucks up and accidentally catches a rebound. He ends up getting taken back and putting a bullet between his fucking eyes. <laughs> Sad now, but true. Yeah, definitely. Now, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea has, since 1948, been ruled by just three men, each being the sole holder of power in the country, belonging to what is now known as the Kim Dynasty. The people of North Korea, which have remained cut off from and separated entirely from the rest of the world, live under a repressive, omnipresent ideology that rules every aspect of their life. That their leader is a godlike figure who is personally responsible for everything in their lives. The food on their tables, the clothing on their backs, even the breath in their lungs. You know, he very clearly is performing what is a photosynthesis photosynthesis <laughs> you know what i'm saying he absorbs he's turning all the carbon dioxide yeah, into oxygen yep that, he's very kind he's a very good ruler um it's funny because of how deceptive the democratic people's republic of korea i don't think there's anything that is democratic nor republic about this country yeah, and it's not the people's country either. No, no, it's, absolutely It's so not. funny when you hear those communist country names because it's always the, you know, democratic people's something of something. And it's like, no, it's none of those things. No. <laughs> that's just, that's just <laughs> all of the bullshit that surrounds those governments. It starts with their name, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, oh my God. I, I totally even forgot that's what it was called. Yeah, it's got that crazy long name. It's it's funny because neither 
uh, South Korea or North Korea officially name themselves like South or North Korea. Both of them claim to be like the Korea. Like South Korea's official name is Republic of Korea. ROK. Like everything that you sell to Republic of Korea, he says rock. ROK. Going to rock. Huh. You know. Okay. Didn't know that. All right. Yeah. It's pretty cool, actually. Kind of cool. to see, you know, ROK being like USA, ROK. But yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It just uh, the North Korea one is such a weird, like four letters. Four letters is never good abbreviation for anything. <laughs> and there's no vowels in it. So it just. No, no. It's not. It doesn't flow off the tongue very well. DPRK. No. no, not in English anyway. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it means, you know, maybe in Korean it has like a nice sound to it, but not in English. No, no it's not no, very good. No. Now, to start it all off, Kim Il-sung, who had been installed as a puppet leader of the Communist North way back in 1948, quickly took full control of the country, infiltrating or dismantling any institution that he did not control, eliminating any potential leader that may have dared oppose him. Kim would begin his propaganda campaign early on in his rule, creating a false narrative and personal mythos that fabricated his role entirely in the Korean rebellion against the Japanese. Also, he would entirely take credit for the surrender of the Korean peninsula by the Empire of Japan after the end of World War II, when in reality, he had spent most of the war either fighting small skirmishes in Japanese-controlled Manchuria or being educated along with other promising Korean rebels in military or political colleges in the Soviet Union. It's weird to say this, but this guy, his backstory is very, pretty similar to Fidel Castro, which I think is interesting. When I watched that documentary about kind of like the life of, uh, or the whole time frame of Cuba, and there's a lot about Fidel Castro, from what the documentary said, there's a lot of parallels to Ki, uh, Kim Sung and his taking of Korea. Yeah, so the Chinese to a lesser extent, but the Soviets would kind of set up like an entire worldwide network of operatives who would go out and train like rebel fighters anywhere where they had a chance to maybe like take over some land to flip the government from democratic or nationalist to communist or, or socialist, that sort of thing. So yeah, he would be, I believe he was trained in, was it South America? Central America? Um, You mean Fidel? Fidel Castro. I almost yeah. think it was in Europe somewhere. Oh, did he? Did he get, okay. So he got sent to the Bloc countries. Yeah. yeah well, I don't know. I don't know much about Fidel Castro. I do know that he has the great beard of, <laughs> well, from what I remember, he, you got to remember his his family was kind of rich, so I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure he got sent to schools like in different countries, and then came back and and then he met Chir Che Guevara. Che Guevara. I think he met him in South America, and then they kind of and then, you know obviously Che Guerrero was kind of like obsessed with starting rebellions. Um, so he did Korea, and then he went and tried, I think, in Bolivia. And I think he mm. died there, I believe. Okay. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I was. I know basically a lot of, like, almost these Soviet colleges would kind of spring up in different places. And there would also obviously be, 
you know, <laughs> none of these like young rebels would ever like, you know, be on their own. A lot of them had help, uh, you know, weapons, training, uh, money, all of that stuff. So. Was anybody colonizing Korea before uh, Japan took it over? Ooh, so Korea is one of those. So kind of like how Japan had like an isolationist way about their whole kingdom. Uh, Korea had kind of the same thing. They were also opened up by the West in kind of the same manner. Basically, like Russia, Europe, United States put pressure on them until they opened up. Then the moment that they opened up, Japan kind of jumped in and grabbed control of it. One of their first like big colonies, one of their first colony jumps that they did during uh, their, you know, uh, early 20th century kind of expansion. I mean, we got to remember, too, uh, Japan and Korea have fought each other. Oh, fuck. Thousand. No, I want to say thousands of years, but it, it could be thousands of years. Yeah. China, Japan, Korea, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, those areas. And then, you know, the Mongols had like one big push that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, uh, mostly they've been dominated kind of deal. But yeah, Korea has there's been times where Korea was dominant. Uh, there's also been times where Korea was really getting their ass handed to them. People think of Japan kind of as like very far away from Korea. Actually, like that Korea, Japan and China, like in those areas is very close together. A lot of uh, like a lot of cross kind of cultural shit was happening before the isolation. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch uh, like feudal Japan or feudal Korean shows, they're always talking about worry about one of the others invading uh, I remember yep. watching the Nobunaga, like the big leader in feudal Japan. I don't think I don't remember if it was him or the other one that like invaded, took over Korea, and then they got and then China came down and took them out. Can't remember which one, but all I'm saying is they have a history. Oh, definitely. It's one of those deals too, where it's kind of like how it's amazing that Portuguese and Spanish are like different languages. It's amazing that kind of like Korean as a language. Kind of is still, you know, still different than like, you know, Mandarin or Japanese kind yeah. of deal. Yeah. Uh, like they were able to like hold on to so much, even though they spent so much time kind of being taken over by the other countries. Uh, it was during the, you know, early 20th century, even Japanese was trying to eliminate them. Uh, doing the whole J Japanese empire thing during yeah. that time, but <laughs> that whole... <laughs> it was kind of their MO, what they were doing. But, that whole, uh, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Trying to destroy foreign culture, foreign language, uh, non-Japanese. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> now today the episode is going to be, it's about kind of the cult of Kim. Uh, not much though about the Kim dynasty. I wanted to really like kind of focus on Kim Il-sung because I feel like he actually gets talked about the least. Most people nowadays, they remember, like, we, when we were kids, Kim Il, uh, <laughs> Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong Il was kind of, you know, the big one. And now yeah. Kim Jong Un yep. is, uh, you know, the big man on campus. Everyone talks about him. A lot of people forget about Kim Il Sung. Even some of his statues are starting to be taken down. So the cult of Kim Il Sung is even being dismantled a little bit in Korea. Okay. I don't know that much about this guy, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. For a quick bio on Kim Il-sung, he was born actually Kim Song-ju. 
just outside of Pyongyang on April 15th, 1912. Uh, he was born in a village either, I'm going to say this very badly, I'm sorry, Mang Yung Bong, uh, then known as Namni, uh, to parents Kim Hong Jik and mother Kang Pan Sok. Both were supposedly outspoken advocates for Korean independence and a vital in the pushback against the empire of Japan, though in 1920 at the age of eight, he and his family, like many Koreans at the time, would be forced to flee into neighboring China in a province called Manchuria. Although there are some other kind of alleged places for his birth, that's kind of the one uh, that I found was like the most common in the pages was uh, that city, formerly known as Namni. Okay. Okay. Now, it was in Manchuria, where, according to the North Korean government, a 14-year-old Kim Song-ju would create the Down with Imperialism Union in 1926. Now, this was an alleged group which was formed to fight against Japanese aggression and to promote Marxist and Leninist ideologies, which the Workers' Party of Korea still considers to be their founding organization. Uh, it is also celebrated every year. Really? Okay. Yes. You know, I, I always think this is interesting when when um, <clears throat> a lot of the like hard, more hardcore socialist governments or the communist governments, it's almost like an extreme overcorrection from the uh, op oppressors that are kind of mm. controlling what they're trying to. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they they are being oppressed by somebody, whether it be their own ruler or whatever, and then the people come together and almost flip that steering wheel 180 degrees <laughs> to like the opposite direction to completely Ste decimate anything to a, like that. To a completely different form of impression. Yeah. Yeah. But that's <laughs> not... It's still oppression. It's just oppression by us. Yeah. yeah. It's not, I think at the time, it's like, oh, the people are going to be in charge. And then it kind of evolves into what we know now. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of funny because every time there's this big surge against kind of the elite, whenever there's one of these big communist takeovers, it's like, oh, we have to take out the, you know, the nationalist or the democratic elite those elitist and make it down to the you know the communal level and then all of a sudden the moment that the communists get into power they're like all right who's the elite we're in charge <laughs> you know do you like think first among equals that's very much a like if anyone's ever you know everyone's read animal back in school or seen one of the you know the adaptations of it but it always happens kind of in animal farm where like the pigs say that all the animals are equal and then all of a sudden by the end of the movie they've crossed out all animals are equal and it's all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Do you think um, it becomes like that? Because if you have a group of people who are used to being oppressed, they assume they have to respond to a singular leader, even if it's a completely new form of government. Well, here's the thing about... So whenever you have kind of like a communist kind of uh, fervor or growth, what you always get is there's a few of 
the they're usually from like the academia they're from kind of the upper middle class they're the ones who are always like leading this revolt they always get the poorest people kind of like the working class schmoes they always get them to kind of you know do all the fighting for them, get all of the blood on their hands and then the moment that like that group wins then the upper middle class members of that group the like intelligentsia basically come into power and then it's like well i mean obviously we're gonna lead you know we're, we're the most important people here and then it kind of falls into the same kind of mold where the poor people maybe you're right maybe they were just used to having someone on top and they kind of feel comfortable with that blanket over them we talked two weeks ago about uh ivan the terrible and kind of like having you know having like that warm safety blanket of like a, a great leader above you it's kind of the same thing maybe yeah it could be i'm just thinking if out of nowhere, the entire U.S. government, the way we understand it, completely eradicated. New government comes in. People are going to just like in their head figure, okay, this new guy is going to do <laughs> what we're used to. That, yes. My, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's a kind of a weird, we're way off base from what we're talking about, but I'm just saying it kind of is... Um, psychologically an interesting question yeah when you really boil us down we're all just monkeys in a confinement in a zoo i mean we're all just basically the same as them you know <laughs> there's gonna be one the big monkey who kind of like controls everything the you know the big unless guy. you're harambe. everyone's gonna gravitate towards them unless you're harambe then you <laughs> yeah and then the cia takes Make you your out. own damn rules <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's um. Oh no, just we're we're getting kind of far off here. Yeah, but yeah. No, it's yeah. W basically humans are the same that they were back in you know goddamn five thousand years ago, caveman days. It's we're the same. We're the same thing. It's really we're looking for someone to follow. Yeah, you know, you yeah. ever been in a situation where you're in a group and all of a sudden like you're walking in front of everyone else and then you realize everyone's following you but you don't know where you're going yeah yeah that's yeah. what leadership is being basically it's that's that's leadership all of a sudden you realize oh fuck they're following me and well then, i better act like i'm in charge and then someone said something says hey i think we're going the wrong way and then you either agree with them or you say no 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 it's this way Slap him in the fucking yeah. face. <laughs> Be like, hey, can you go execute him for me? We're going this way. <laughs> this is my junta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on. In 1930, after years of infiltration into the region, the Empire of Japan would successfully invade and dominate the province of Manchuria. At this time, the 18-year-old Kim Song-ju would become a low-level soldier in the resistance against Japanese occupation of Manchuria. He would rise through the ranks, and according to Kim himself, he would begin showing up on wanted posters and be targeted by the Japanese, and they would begin to refer to him as the Tiger. Oh, okay. What are the odds this is actually real? <sighs> Not likely. Okay. So That's kind of we'll get into it later. <laughs> But it's just I I I put that at the end there. To, you know, I thought you'd think that was funny. But yeah, yeah I did. He, uh, <laughs> yeah. So according to him, he was such a successful soldier 
that uh, you know he was being targeted specifically, even got even given a cool name, that sort of thing. In reality, he was probably at this time, maybe in the mid 30s. He kind of got to be like kind of a medium level off. So yeah, yeah, he. Uh, this is why Korea when they purchase frosted flakes i've heard they put his face instead of tony the tiger on each and every box because he it's is kim the tiger yeah he is the original tiger definitely yeah <laughs> i could imagine kim like <laughs> but yeah it's just kind of weird that you know they refer to him as the tiger like maybe he was wanted by the japanese but i doubt he was like like when america put out those playing cards for al-qaeda I doubt he was the ace of spades, you know? Yeah, yeah, probably not. That's kind of what he made himself out to. And definitely, like, when he starts building the cult around himself, he magnifies kind of his prowess for fighting, kind of like what he did during the war. Everything gets elevated, so. Yeah, nothing more powerful than a legend. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially when uh, no one has the ability to fact check. And if they do try to fact check you, they're fucking dead. Yeah. So, yeah. Very yeah. true. Makes it nice, nice and easy. Now, between 1941 and 1942, the Japanese, which had been chasing rebel groups all over Manchuria, would actually begin to catch up to Kim and his band of married men and cause them to abandon the territory of Manchuria and move into Soviet territory, where obviously the Japanese were not going to follow them. Once there, Kim and other rebels would begin to be taken in by the Soviets. Once in the Soviet custody, they would actually be given training and support by the military, eventually being formed into the 88th International Brigade of the Red Army. This was made up of remnants of uh, Manchurian anti-Japanese militia fighters, all of which were communist or, you know, uh, became communist once they got into the ranks of the Red Army. Though the group would actually never see combat. This was even after the Soviets had declared war on Japan in 45 after the dropping of the nuclear bomb and when war was, you know, obviously almost over. So they dropped the bombs after they declared war on them, though, right? No. So what happened is the first bomb dropped and immediately the Soviets realized like they had to and like okay. furiously they were trying to take up as much territory as possible. They went into Korea, they went into Manchuria, that sort of thing. Oddly enough, Phil, and I'm not even kidding about this, I saw on my Google News feed, um, I think today was the anniversary of the bomb dropped in Nagasaki, actually. Um, mm. thing. It was either today or yesterday. So, I mean, that's nothing to you know, go ahead and celebrate, but it was on there. Yeah, today's actually, uh, well, we're recording on August 9th, and yeah. uh, the invasion of Manchuria, it said, was August 9th. So that was kind of funny. Uh, we're oh. doing this on the same day. So. Okay, all right. Now, at this point, the 88th International Brigade would actually be broken up. This was to send the foreign soldiers back to their homelands, with the Chinese soldiers being sent into China to obviously, you know, go fight in the restarted Chinese Civil War, the Nationalist versus the Communists. But as for the Koreans, they would be sent to the Soviet-controlled northern region of their home peninsula. And at this point, 
is when the cult of Kim would actually begin. Do you think uh, Kim was like, man, I think that Mao guy has some really good, really solid ideas for the country. Oh, as long as Mao was helping him out? Yeah. (laughs) Any communist leader who helped him out he would definitely give props to yeah i (laughs) were mao and like them pals just allies um yeah so it was kind of here's the weird thing about so the relationship between like the soviets and the chinese communists was kind of wishy-washy even though they were supposed to be friends it, it was always kind of an uneasy alliance. And oftentimes they would kind of use the Koreans and the Mongolians. Oh, yeah. Okay. They would use them as buffers kind of between each other a little bit. Uh, also try to like play them off of each other. There was a de-Stalinization uh, situation that happened in the Soviet Union. And it caused the Koreans to side with the Chinese a little bit more. Before that, they were siding more. With the Soviets, they were getting help from both during the war. So it's kind of this thing where like, it's back and forth, really. You're, I, all three sides were playing each other against each other. I'm guessing most of the other communist countries were jealous of Mao's haircut. So that's oh, probably definitely. why they were you know, at odds with him. Because it's hard to pull off that macho man of a haircut. Yeah, Mao has the haircut, Stalin has the mustache. Yeah. So <laughs> if you were to combine well, the two of them, woof. God damn. Oh, definitely, yeah. And then uh Kim Il sung has his own signature. So <laughs> <laughs> now there are varying reports on how Kim Song Ju's name would actually change to Kim Il sung. Firstly, with the theory that while he was stationed in Soviet controlled Far East. Kim Song-ju would change his name to that of his former commander, a fallen hero of the resistance, whose real name was Kim kyung Shong. According to some theories, Kim, Kim Song-ju had stolen the identity for himself, as it was already a famous name amongst the Korean peoples and in the resistance movement. Actually, when he would get back to Korea, uh, some people would think that he had returned from the dead almost because there were reports that Kim Il-sung had died during the war. But it was a different Kim Il-sung that they were thinking of. Huh. Okay. I mean, I <laughs> if that's true, I guess it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those deals where he kind of does this a lot. If he's not creating a fake legend, he's stealing someone else's. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of already see by this guy's just personality, it seems like something he would do. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The second one is actually, it's my favorite. So there apparently was a CIA dossier created back in the uh, late 1950s, early 1960s which contained leaked information on Kim Il-sung. It stated that Kim Song-ju was actually just a a poor orphan boy who was taken in by Soviet intelligence. He would be then given the name and legacy of war hero Kim Il-sung, and he would be blackmailed by the Soviets to become their puppet leader in North Korea uh, after the fall of the Japanese which actually kind of makes sense considering there is a lot of ambiguity of Kim's past 
prior to him re-entering the peninsula in 1945. Uh, also, there's reports by his Soviet handlers that when he got back to Korea, he barely knew the language and even had to have all of his speeches written for him by the Soviets. So is there any confirmation outside of the CIA that he could not speak Korean very well? Well, it. so the thing is, he left when he was eight years old and he didn't get back until he was 30s. So it does kind of make sense. He was mostly speaking uh, Chinese or Russian when he was, you know, out of country. He lived in China for much longer than he ever lived in Korea. And his also his parents died when he was a teenager. So I feel it, I feel it's like, not hard to imagine that he was better at Chinese than I feel like this is definitely something you could see like old school, maybe even current Russian secret you know, long-term plan that they would set out. Don't you think? Yeah. They almost like they had kind of had a plan for a post Japanese kind of Korea. Maybe they thought that they would be in control of the entire peninsula, but that they would kind of prop up this, uh, you know, this useful idiot basically put him in the country, but then it turned out he kind of, you know, took over shit. They taught him too well sort of situation. So it backfired on him. A little bit. I mean, the thing is about the dossier, you know, this was basically a, a discredit report, which a lot of those dossiers end up being. I was going to say, because you got, this is complicated because you got uh, Russia's good at propaganda. The CIA is great at propaganda. And obviously oh, yeah. North Korea lives on propaganda. So it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> who the fuck do you trust? Yeah. One country loves propaganda, one country's great at propaganda, and one country is propaganda. Yeah, yeah, so I, yep. I guess you'd have to just uh, pick whichever one sounds best to you. Yeah, it would make a great movie. The problem is everyone would be afraid of making it because they'd be worried that the Koreans would steal the movie from their archives and, you know, <laughs> threaten to put it out early or whatnot. Are you worried but, like, about- Like what happened to Sony- are you worried about Pudgy Boy attacking this show because of this episode? I don't know. I imagine he'd give us a bad review. Yeah, but, uh, I, don't, see, I don't know. We're we're kind of we're kind of small time, so <laughs> he, he seems like I a doubt one, he listens to us. He seems like a one star kind of guy. Yeah, if the Scientologists didn't come after, then uh, <laughs> I doubt the Koreans. Are. I did so get a call from a private number, so I. <laughs> They didn't leave a voicemail, Dev, so I don't know what that was. That's a little scary. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing when nowadays it answers their phone. But yeah, I didn't answer, but it was just it just happened the other day. Yeah, sorry, Iowa student loans. I'm never answering my. <laughs> yeah. I haven't answered my phone in four years. <laughs> I'm not answering the phone. For no, you. absolutely not when, you, not. not when your name comes up. No, no, absolutely not. All right, getting back to this. And thirdly, of course, we have to mention this. According to North Korean propaganda, the great leader had actually taken the name Kim Il-sung in 1935. And that is because the name means Kim become the son. Now, this is, of course, while he was a low ranking officer in some backwater, you know, North Manchurian rebel faction while he was only 23 years old. So they're claiming that at 23, he knew he was son. He was going to be, he was destined for greatness. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, I take that one as like the least 
Probable. <laughs> Definitely. He yeah. was probably getting swirlies and wedgies. Like, let's be real here. Definitely. Well, I mean, a lot of dudes at 23 do think that they are the son, but uh, I doubt anyone would start calling them that by, you know, name, especially a lot of those uh, young Instagram TikTok folk out there. <laughs> a lot of them probably think that they're the son. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to watch out. I think some of those really popular influencers could eventually become communist uh, insurgents take over a country oh. at some point. Oh, definitely. Logan Paul and his brother, Jake yeah. Paul. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. they might be They're going to take over the world. They might be on the same intelligence as Kim uh, Kim Il-sung. Yeah, just, uh, just, over, just over 85. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, after his return to the Korean Peninsula in 1940, Kim would begin moving up the rungs of power very quickly, achieving the office of premier in 1948. He would seize total control of the country for himself by the very next year. Of course, he had the backing of the Soviet Union all the way. Now, it was at this time when Kim Il-sung would begin implementing his cult of personality on the entire country, blending revisionist history along with hero worship into a nice little, nice little stew. So, <laughs> that is a delectable stew. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> if he was going up in powder with power when he became premier was that like an elected position at that time or was this just he just said hey i'm the premier now so basically it's kind of like a i don't know what you would kind of describe but all of the people on the ballot were from the same basic party kind of situation gotcha. so i don't know exactly if he was voted in uh, so there's obviously like parliamentary forms of government, kind of where you vote in your own like regional person or your own little district person, and then they vote for who's the top guy. That's kind of how like British Parliament, the lower house works, House of Commons. I don't know if this was kind of more like that, but uh, basically it was you know against the law to vote for anyone who wasn't a communist. Like there was no write-in candidates allowed. Let's just say that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. It's kind of like a rigged election of sorts. Oh, yeah. It was an election, but, you know, you know who you were voting pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, America kind of has it in the same way where you, I mean, let's be realistic. You can only really vote for one of two parties. Like, you don't, <laughs> you can <laughs> vote for other ones, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, this this situation. So I every time I've ever voted, there's always been an older either man or woman, uh, usually Republican. They're in their rascal scooter and they have their their little pamphlets about kind of, you know, which candidate supports pro-life, Second Amendment, that kind of stuff, uh, which judges you should vote for that kind of deal. It's kind of like that. But instead of a rascal scooter and a cane, she has a gun. Ah, Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, let's be realistic, Phil, though. They have guns. They're just... Oh, yeah. They're just concealing them. This is America, yeah. after all. Oh, definitely. Yeah. She <laughs> she has uh, three uh, justified kills. Ah. <laughs> yeah. That old lady. <laughs> yeah. Three justified kills. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you should always be nice to them, though. I mean... 
you know, it's not like they're being, some people are always like either, you know, say mean things about those people or, you know, get on fucking Facebook and bitch. Like, honestly, they're, they have all nothing but free time. You know, they're just probably out nice to meet people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that for the most part ends the history portion of this episode. I kind of wanted to just put it to where he came to power. Uh, now we're going to move on into some of the rules that the Kim administration would implement among his society uh, after his takeover. Okay, so this is really, like, really building the cult of personality. Yes, it okay. wasn't. So it wasn't an overnight thing. No. Uh, it was kind of like a boiling water situation. Right, yeah. Takes a little bit to yep. simmer up. Definitely. Yeah. It takes a like these people, especially after all of those years under Japanese occupation, they were kind of primed to live under this kind of regime. I mean, even South Korea was under a dictatorship for, I think, like two decades after the Korean War. But it's one of those things where you you kind of have to slow feed people your bullshit. Yeah. That situation. Yeah. Kind of like the Catholic Church. Yeah. Thousands of years built something (laughs) like that. (laughs) <laughs> Very true. In 1949, Kim Il-sung, then known more as a administrator and not quite yet the superhero leader that we would know today, would begin a campaign of erecting statues and likenesses of himself around the country, with his image even being painted on the sides of buildings. Now, a few years into his reign, it would even become a crime if you happen to see the grand leader's face in a newspaper to write on his image. Okay, so you couldn't draw a big veiny cock nope. on the newspaper, like shooting cum in his mouth. Um, nope. Okay. No big veiny cock, no Hitler mustache, nothing. Okay. That's it. You know what? It takes a lot of fun out of reading the newspaper, I gotta <laughs> say. <laughs> Definitely. I can't imagine the the uh, <laughs> the punishment for if you use uh, that, that newspaper in the bottom of like a birdcage. Yeah. What are you <laughs> supposed to even pack your breakables up in? It? I don't know. If you can't even, you know, wrap your vase up in a newspaper, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I was thinking more for if birds shit on it. But ah, yeah. Okay. Or your dog shits on it. But oh, yeah. If your dog shits on his face in the newspaper, you're not technically writing on it. It's the dog's fault. So does the dog get executed? Possibly. The dog is executed along with three generations of that dog. Ah, get punished. Okay. Yep. All right. We'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. <laughs> now, eventually, having the dear leader's image in one's home would become mandatory with strict rules on the upkeep and cleanliness of that portrait there would also be inspections of homes that would occur to make sure that this portrait is being kept up properly strict penalties would occur if your portrait of the dear leader was damaged at all or even had a little bit of dust on it oh jesus okay so no veiny cocks or hitler (laughs) mustaches on that either no definitely yeah and if you have uh one of them deadbeat drunk dad style uh, fathers in the home, and he puts a puts a fist through the wall. You better hope it's not through the dear leader's face. <laughs> Do you think it would be illegal if they caught you jerking off to that picture? Illegal? No. Uh, a, a mandatory new rule? Possibly. Yeah. 
He just makes <laughs> every day you have to jerk off to his picture. <laughs> every day. Just make sure you don't get any of the stream on uh, the deer leader's face. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be careful of that. Definitely. So uh, this also meant that that portrait would become a prized possession in everyone's home, even like kind of mandating that if a fire occurred, that you are by law required to save the portrait first. This before even one's own child. If in that fire, the portrait was at all damaged uh, when you were trying to get it kicked up, when you were trying to take it out of the home, the same penalties would apply. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Seems a bit extreme. I, some people, I think in reality, I think there's some people who have like maybe a picture of Jesus uh, or some other American U.S. president who might actually do this on their own. Oh, definitely. Anyone in Texas, you know, you got that picture of Troy Aikman right over the fireplace. <laughs> you got to save that baby. Yeah. It's, Fuck you. <laughs> it's kids. coming out of the home. Sorry, grandma. Fuck your but... <laughs> kids. Yeah. You got to protect that. <laughs> definitely. I got <laughs> anyone in Boston who's got the, uh, the signed Tom Brady football, even if it's a questionable signature anyway, you got to save that baby. You got the baby in one arm and the football in the other. Running around you know, out of the house. I maybe I should do this for Justin Jefferson. Maybe I should just have a picture of him and I'll keep it in immaculate condition. And if there's any emergency, I will save the picture of Justin Jefferson over my own life. Possibly. Yes. I'm trying <laughs> to think of who the uh the Iowa Hawkeyes equivalent of that would be. Kurt Fairness. Uh, you should have Kirk Ferentz. Uh, yeah. You should have a picture of him in your home. That might actually be a rule in Iowa. I it don't know. Could, He's been yeah. in power for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it could. <laughs> now, I haven't really mentioned it yet. Uh, what some of these penalties could include is uh, extremely harsh. Basically, you are treated, if if you break any like minor law in Korea that has to do kind of with like being perceived as a dissident, it is as if you are directly against the the leader of the country. So uh, there was a famous story about uh, a tourist a few years ago. A foreign tourist had come in there while in a, in a hotel. He had actually taken down some propaganda that the hotel had had up on the wall. And they thought that he was like a dissident and arrested him just the same. So why did he take it down or he or she? I Did they ask that? I don't know. They didn't ask shit. They just fucking arrested him. But he ended up actually getting severe brain damage and he died uh, shortly after being returned. So from he being was beaten. sent to a labor camp for. Ah, uh, yeah. OK. Yikes. Where they beat the fuck out of him and worked him to death pretty much. OK. Yikes. Is that camp ran by Walmart or what? Oh, it's the Amazon warehouse <laughs> sponsored by Amazon. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah prob probably. Allegedly, of course. Yeah. Now, for anyone that breaks the law or is seen as a possible dissident, there is a three generation rule that applies, meaning that three generations of your family will suffer from the penalties of your crime, which is meant mostly to dissuade anyone from, you know, stepping out of line or breaking any laws. This definitely applies to anyone trying to escape 
from the north to the south or into China, uh, with any attempt being severely punished. Now, in those uh, political prisons, those labor camps, there's an estimated 200,000 dissidents living there for re-education, them and their families. Is there any education being taught outside of beatings? No, not okay. really. I'm guessing it's a the clockwork orange situation where wow. you're either getting the shit kicked out of you or you're being forced to watch propaganda. So this is for 200,000. I mean, what is even the population of North Korea? Uh, Does anybody uh, even know? Million. Okay. It's, God damn. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's a pretty sizable percentage of the population. Yeah, I just say 200,000 of a couple million, that's quite a bit. All right, so I actually just looked it up, and it is actually not a couple of million, it's actually 25 million. So that in comparison to South Korea, which is about 52 million. So okay. 25 million, uh, so it's smaller percentage of the population, but that's a lot of fucking uh, political prisoners. Yeah. Concentration camps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as time would go on, the history of Kim Il-sung's war efforts during World War II would become heavily revised, with his military unit actually being the ones who invaded the peninsula from the north. They would be, as they claimed, the liberators of the Korean people, and not the allied powers of the U.S. or the Soviet Union. Uh, Kim's actions during the war in Manchuria would also become greatly exaggerated. I know. I was, I was honestly half expecting like him to say he literally flew to Japan and did a atomic suplex on Emperor Hirohito <laughs> and saved them from Japan. I honestly was just, like waiting for that to happen. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The U.S., they're, they're basically taught that if they ever meet an American, that the Americans are like a snarling dog that's going to kill them. Uh, kind of the same deal with the Japanese. They're still taught to hate the Japanese. It's uh, They're obviously the, the education of the children in North Korea is basically to tell them that you have it bad here, you think. The people out in like the outside world have it even worse than you do. You're lucky to live in North Korea. Like, you're lucky you're just a little hungry all the time. Because those people have nothing. They never eat. Like, the walls are actually meant to keep, like, everyone out of North Korea. Not the opposite. That's kind of what they're taught. Uh, Jesus, all they'd have to do is play MTV on fucking 24-7. Uh, then they would feel like, <laughs> God, we are lucky to be in North Korea. <laughs> We're actually going to get into uh, mass media ah. in, in a couple of these bullets. Okay. But uh, yeah, if they honestly, if they played some of the reality television that we watched just for a week, they might be kind of glad. Like, could you yeah. imagine a week of Jersey Shore? Some of those Ooh. people, they'd be so happy yeah. that they just have nice, simple lives. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, dear <laughs> they don't God. have to see those people. Yeah. Dear God. <laughs> now, getting back to this. After the disastrous and costly stalemate finish to the Korean War, Kim Il-sung would instead claim that, in fact, he had actually won the Korean War. This was because of his great military mind, his strategic abilities, uh, the fact that he was still in power and that the Allies weren't capable of dislodging him from his position as premier was proof that he had won. So basically, he, like, he flipped it around. It, it wasn't that it was... 
the Chinese and the Soviets who kind of came in and saved his ass. It was the fact that it was a stalemate. Like it was a tie. I win kind of situation. I mean, let's let's give him a little credit. America tries to pretend that war didn't even happen. So, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, if he's, yeah. he's going to lie about it and America's going to lie about it, then you know what? Whatever. That's like the one war I feel nobody ever mentions. Yeah, it is kind of one of those forgotten. It's almost an in-between war. So it's yeah. a war that happened between World War II and Vietnam, pretty much. And it just kind of, it was one of these engagements that like a lot of people don't really talk about, but I heard, I mean, I've heard from, I remember there was one guy who was in the Korean war and he was like talking about fucking having people's ears on a necklace and shit. Um, I've heard it was a very brute, like, I don't know how grotesque <laughs> engagement. I believe that was from uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, <laughs> Universal Soldier. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It probably was, but I swear to God, there's an okay. old guy who worked at Best Buy, and this is the shit. He he wasn't, um, he had an accent. I think, I don't know where he was from, but uh, yeah, he talked about the Korean War, and he seemed a little too jovial about it. Um I, he's was, probably, he, was, he's, was he uh, fighting on the American side? or <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't ask that part. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I would assume so if he's in America, but um, I don't know. He, I guarantee he's probably dead now because he was pretty old back, you know, to almost 20 <laughs> years ago. It is funny how you think of like people, like people I used to work with 15 years ago who are like in their thirties. I think of them now and I'm just like, Oh, they're probably dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird, but yeah, yeah, that is uh that was kind of a big thing from like the Vietnam war kind of that, uh, you know, uh, people going crazy out, out in the jungle, having like ears on necklaces and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it got, you know, a few like war movies. So I was going to say though, if it was a best buy employee, he might be doing that shit on the weekends. <laughs> He's still fighting the Korean War in his uh, <laughs> in his his uh, his free time, huh? Still uh, going out to those uh, Hmong population centers in the cities. Yeah, it yeah. really help. It really helps him uh, hawk TVs. Definitely, yeah. So after the end of the Korean War, the North would actually be sent into a forced recovery period. This would be where all of the country's farms and industries would be nationalized, uh, put completely under the control of the state. Also during this period, Kim would begin to implement the policy of Juche, a word meaning self-reliance, autonomy, or independence. This was in an effort to make the Korean people much stronger. This was by growing their own food or producing their own goods. However, what really this policy was meant to do would see the country be isolated and cut off from any foreign influence. This would give North Korea the dubious moniker, the Hermit Kingdom. Okay. On it, uh, here again... In that Cuba documentary, they talk about this too, where they Cuba tried to try to try to do this too, um, whereas like a they weren't isolationists per se, but they were like all hands on deck to the government's going to control all of the uh, sugar and the yep. exports, 
and uh, didn't really let the farmers, you know, collect their profits. Yeah, that's kind of the funny thing about when they when they talk about being like like communal. The the whole idea behind the communist kind of system is a communal living, kind of like everything is like a co-op. The thing is, it's not really a co-op because everything is actually owned by kind of like the elite, the top people. So you kind of think like, oh, this is kind of our thing. You know, we kind of get this. And then it's like, oh, where's the money going to? Well, it's going to the, the government. Like you're doing all of the work. You control all the labor. But we actually control all the profits. And you know what? We control the fucking labor too. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's basically just like there's no manager or owner except for like the government of your and like they're in control of your communal little situation. I think communal communities only work for about 10 to 15 hippies in the middle of the woods. And yep. even then you got six months to a year before it turns into a cult. Oh, definitely. And you always hear about those kind of like those hippie communal living cults. And it's always like, well, where are they getting all their money from? Like, oh, yeah, you know, we sell our own products. We we grow our own food. We do blah, blah, blah. Where do you like where do you get most of your money from, though? Well, you know, everyone has Social Security check or unemployment or, a you know, something like a government check. And we all cash it in and put it together. That sort of thing. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're living off the government. Basically, uh, you know, real problems set in when, you know, Tim Treebark has sex with uh, <laughs> Tiffany Wallflower and then, uh, you know, everyone starts fucking their each other's wives and husbands and then and then you have some problems and then the community is over. I would actually disagree. So it's OK. It's not bad, like for the community when everyone is fucking everyone else. The problem is when you get one guy in there claiming that he's the only one allowed to fuck. That's when things are getting a little uh, a little bad. I don't know, man. You get- if you come in with a, as a married, let's just say a married couple comes in this community and husband starts having sex with another guy's wife and without permission, I guess, or an understanding, then you start to get problems. Mm, possibly but if you're already if it's a if it's already a group that we're getting way off topic (laughs) if it's if it's already so as far as cults go if it's already like a situation like that where it's kind of an understanding i suppose that's the understanding you were talking about yeah 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 kind of like how how waco uh how what was that guy's name david koresh david koresh kind of how david koresh did it was um he decided that God told him he was the only one allowed to have sex with with any of the women. There. Well, like it, you got to figure a lot of them were fourteen, so he was yeah. just a pedophile. Um, but uh, what was it gonna say? In North Korea, do they have to watch you have sex and count like you have a limited number of like strokes? I don't know. They're probably all pretty hungry, <laughs> so I'm guessing it's. Uh, you know, hard, just, to, uh, hard to get it working as, down there. Yeah, you just, uh, you know, you only maybe have the energy to fuck once a month and just as many strokes as you need. That's all you get. So, OK, all right. <laughs> I have no I have no idea about the maid. I didn't look that deep into it, ah, Cody, but, okay. uh, you know, maybe the next episode. You I'll, know, I'll get you back know, to you on that one, you know, I asked the uh, important <laughs> questions, the humping habits in the hermit kingdom. Yeah. Yep. 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 Now, during his time as premier and eventual president of the DPRK, Kim Il-sung would give himself 
many titles and awards. This would include naming himself the Sun, the Great Chairman, the Heavenly Leader, and of course, Dear Leader, uh, which would become actually kind of like his official title amongst the people. Now, in 1967, Kim Il-sung's son, Kim Jong-il, would become the Minister of Propaganda, and this is kind of when it would go into overdrive and this is where you would get some of the some of the crazier stuff kim jong kim jong il was kind of eccentric he's known for being eccentric and like a lot of the things that you think of today as like the crazy like north korean kind of like ideologies and stuff like that came from him is he is he as good or better than if you were to put propaganda ministers up against each other kim jong il Verse Joseph Goebbels, um, who are you taking? Joseph Goebbels, he had uh, he had the poster game down, but Kim Jong Un, he really or Kim Jong Il, he really understood kind of like mass media and uh, got big into like television, and he was actually a huge movie buff and kind of uh, started like a his own kind of cottage industry for like movies in North Korea where they would rip off foreign films, especially Japanese films, put them out as their own. Oh, okay. You're forgetting, Phil, Goebbels, another powerful tool, the radio. Mm, Don't forget about true. the radio. Yeah. They literally, I wouldn't say they forced everybody, but they pretty much forced every citizen to have a radio in their house. Yeah, Just the propaganda game did become really important with mass media, as we're going to talk about here in a second. Right. Uh, Tokyo Rose for uh, the empire of Japan was pretty big. Uh, they would put Tokyo Rose on the radio for all of the American servicemen, kind of to feed them like fake propaganda that they're actually losing the war. See, that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, Tokyo Rose was actually, I'm, I can't remember, I believe tried to like imprison her after the war but i think they let her go because she was basically like forced to, to like into her, her position so i i'm just yeah i'm 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 just guessing with that name she probably was kind of hot i ooh, i'll have to look up a picture okay. of her it's been a while since i've seen any like documentary on her <laughs> thing but getting back to this now like we were just talking about the most important aspect of the Qing dynasty would be their ability to control the media in the borders of their own country. In total, there are only four television stations allowed on North Korean TV sets. And anyone who is allowed internet access, you actually have to permit get permission to get your own computer or laptop. Uh, if you do have internet access through one of those, though, you're only able to access about 28 internet sites. They're all Korean government approved. Okay, so clearly they are not going to be on like Reddit or anything. Um, oh, definitely no. So, no Netflix either. Yeah. Uh, you know what, though? Um, this literally reminds me if you, like, wherever you work, the restrictions you have at work, that, but it's in your home. Because this is literally what, like, at work, there's one channel, and you cannot change the the station. Um, it's a <laughs> company highlight channel, by the way. You cannot change it. Uh, and, yeah, the Internet. 
I wouldn't say it's limited, but we'll just say somebody's always watching. Oh, definitely. Yeah. There's always a, <laughs> there's always a fun call from HR that'll come up. Yeah. Looking up a little, uh, yeah. even, the, even the most mild YouTube videos might yeah. get called out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much every corporation has that channel that's playing on all of the TVs, the company propaganda channel. Uh, I know when I was in the military, there's the armed services kind of network, the armed forces network that always plays uh, at the the gym uh, TVs, which actually the armed forces network does have like regular shows. But the funny thing is the commercials that come in between the shows are really funny. Uh, they're always PSAs, basically. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> like safety, P- safety PSAs, and they're just the most terrible. It was funny yeah. now that I think about when I work for the job before I do now. They had like they'd always be like, "Oh, we offer free Wi-Fi for everybody. You know, you just hook it up here, dude. You couldn't access any social media. Uh, I'm pretty sure they at first made it hard to like use Spotify." They would have like yeah. everything blocked, but they would tout like free Wi-Fi for all the employees. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you're blocking everywhere you can go. Yeah. And it's Wi-Fi that's so bad. You yeah. can't even get like the Google page to open. Yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. bad. It was really bad. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That kind of like how my internet is right now at my home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've spotty at best. I'm starting to think actually that you had a North Korean hacker attack. Possibly. I have been looking up quite a bit of uh, anti-Kim internet sites and articles over the past couple of days. So it could possibly be that. Now, I I wanted to talk about this. um, Is... How can I word this? So there is some folks, would you say, that are very pro-communists, okay, that I know in real life, right? And not that they love North Korea, but they believe, like, basically everything you just said here is nothing but U.S. propaganda about North Korea. Now, Mm. do you think there is a possibility that the information that we get about North Korea has been curated specifically to make them look worse than not to say it's good but to make it look worse than it is no um i would say that's probably the case for cuba but i think that every bad thing you kind of hear you hear so a lot of these things are coming from people who have escaped uh people you know obviously they're going to be the first ones to complain about how terrible things are and maybe they are kind of you know elevating the bad stuff but there's a lot of intelligence that kind of points towards this and it's coming up on like 70 years of these kind of reports of it getting like worse and worse and worse so i see when when i hear things like that um i'm sure some things are exaggerated right uh I could see the like U.S. being more concerned about making up stuff about Russia or China in the current day than they are North Korea or even Cuba in current times. Yeah, so definitely North Korea and Cuba were kind of used as like pawns in a larger game, Um, even though those countries maybe thought that they were more important than that. I could definitely 
I can definitely see that. Um, you, it's, it's kind of weird. So people get certain ideologies in their heads. Uh, I'm talking about your friends, the, uh, the American folks. Some people get certain ideologies in their heads and they think that no matter what, the most mild or the most extreme cases of that ideology must be okay. Uh, so I was talking to someone back when I was in the guard about uh, like capitalism, that sort of thing. And they said, that's the thing about capital. Like the difference between capitalism and communism, there's never been a, ca- a bad co- capitalist like regime where they were killing people, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what about the Pinochet regime in Chile? That was like, that was the full capitalist kind of, you know, capital, like runaway capitalism. And like that went, that turned out bad. And they're like, oh no, that was actually really good compared to what they took over, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, no, no, that was like a, like a social, the socialism, you know, was voted for in that country. And they just wouldn't hear it that the Pinochet regime was bad. And it's like, dude, they, they tortured and murdered thousands of people, <laughs> you know, isn't, but, it, isn't Britain and all their colonies because of uh, capitalism? I mean, back then, you know, obviously Britain's very different now, but. Yeah, so, I mean, it was uh, trying to think. It was more of a post-feudalism type situation, uh, like the beginnings of capitalism. The problem is it wasn't like, there wasn't a, it wasn't a competition-based thing. So, you had um, the navigation acts and everything kind of mandated that, like even the colonies well, were getting screwed over by like everything was for the mother country sort of situation. And any company that was set up was given kind of like the sole rights to like an entire region, like the East India Company, like all of these, you know, all of that for kind of imperialism back then was nothing was like com- nothing was capitalist like we think of capitalist today. No. No, um, no, I, uh, I think our modern day capitalist is, uh, a lot sneakier, um, personally, but, uh, you know, what, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, we kind of have like a corporate capitalism right yeah. now where there is the, how should I say this? Uh, it almost seems like there's competition, but there isn't no. kind of like we were talking about uh, internet service providers. Uh, before the show and how it seems like there's competition in your area, but really there's like one big one and a couple of shitty ones that you don't want to use because they're absolutely terrible. Like one's going to fuck you over, gouge you and throttle the fuck out of you. But the other ones, you're not even opening Google. You know what I find amazing? And I don't know if you've seen this. So like you just mentioned, while technically not a monopoly, it kind of is, right? With the cable yep. companies and especially the electric companies. Um, but nothing's ever done with that. But yet I've seen lawsuits for Steam against Steam for being a monopoly. And I'm like, guys, isn't there some bigger fish to fry here than <laughs> fucking a little app that just sells you video games to play? Like It's because they're kicking Apple's ass. That's why. And Apple's the big fish. And I'm just like, "Ah, Jesus Christ. But anyway, (laughs) I saw that. I'm just like, guys, nobody's dissatisfied with Steam. I mean, it's a little annoying sometimes, but for the most part, you can get games wherever the fuck you want. So 
I don't, it's just whatever. But, uh, all right, Phil. So, is modern day, is the guy's name now, because I got him all confused. This is Kim Jong-il now, right? No, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un now, okay. So, is he, you think, worse than his dad and grandpappy? Well, that's kind of hard to say because we don't, I mean, we don't really know a ton. We gathered information for years to find out all, like this much about Kim Il-sung, that sort of thing. We're just kind of now learning about like what happened during Kim Il Kim Jong-il's regime. Kim Jong-un, we're kind of like, you know, just finding out about like his early days and stuff like that. Um, he's definitely gone down. I mean, he's... You know, he's not quite probably as bad as, you know, his predecessors. I don't know if he's as competent. I was uh, saying apparently, he- according to like the intelligence services, he's just as bloodthirsty. Uh, he supposedly killed his own brother, killed his own uncle, that sort of thing. So he certainly loves firing rockets. We know that. Um, but he yeah, I don't know. He he <laughs> he definitely seems uh, way dumber. Um, and yes. he, at least he shares with us his propaganda videos. We get to see them from time to time. So we got to kind of thank him for that. <laughs> um, when he, he had that like nuclear warhead with him making it look like he just built it. And it's like an action scene. That was a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah, from uh, kind of what I was thinking, like all of that propaganda that they have now was probably built by uh, his father, Kim Jong-il. And they're kind of like using that to full effect, like as much as they can, you know, trying to put stuff out to be relevant um, as if like anyone outside of that country actually believes it. So kind of finishing this off, 1994, Kim Il-sung actually dies. His son Kim Jong-il, who he had been grooming for years, takes over. Anyone in North Korea who wasn't seen like openly weeping after the death of Kim Il-sung was arrested and put in one of those prisoners prisoner camps. There was a like period of mourning that was mandated by the government. There's like these things, which is kind of like the, the the main cult of Kim type things. There's also a bunch of like crazy little laws. Apparently, there's only like 15 haircuts that you can choose from if you're a man or a woman in the country. There's a lot of crazy like rules and all this stuff. If there's like an event where they need people to do the thing where they hold up the cardboard signs, basically like you're forced to be in one of those people from certain villages. Uh, there's a lot. Like if you look them up on the internet, I didn't want to go through all of them because this video is already running long, but apparently, but <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Some of the, some of the rules for that country. Pretty wild. Yeah. Maybe one day, you know, all the information will come out. I don't know how I, 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 I don't know how, if you last thing here, if you had to estimate, do you think they're going to stay like that for uh, permanently? Do you think it'll fall apart eventually? What do you think? Uh, I think, well, I think that people thought it was going to fall apart 50 years ago. It's amazing that it's still around. They've survived through famines. They've survived through threats of war. Uh, basically, them having the nuke pretty much 
uh, kept them around for the past, like through the Bush era, pretty much. Um, there was a time where South Korea stopped giving them fertilizer and they mandated that every citizen had a certain amount of human feces that they needed to pro provide the government for fertilizer for the crops. I mean, could you imagine having that come across when you're like living in any other country in the world? You know, I'm going to just throw this out there. Um, I might not be opposed to it because of uh, how they get some of the fertilizers, Phil. So maybe we can it come might to be the best fertilizer. Actually, we could come together as a country and help out the farmers with a more natural approach instead <laughs> of poisoning our groundwater. That could be beneficial. What do you what do you say? Yeah, I don't know. Compared to the fertilizer that we're putting on the crops, it might be better. Yeah. Um, I imagine yeah. that their diet probably doesn't have all the preservatives and everything that we have in our diet. So maybe it would actually be you know good for the crops and not be you know full of plastics and heavy metals like ours is. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A shitload of uh, American feces. Might not be the best for the crops. We might need to import. <laughs> no, that. it would be terrible. It would be terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just McDonald's shits all over the fucking crops. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, might not. You be don't want to. You don't want to be eating any bread that was made from the wheat with someone's Taco Bell shits all yeah. over it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but anyway, Phil, do you have any closing comments? No, just that uh, this one was kind of a fun one to make. Uh, I did leave out a lot about kind of like how like the government like supplements really just like the military first type thing. But that could be a whole nother video. So, well, maybe another episode in the future then perhaps. But yep. uh, anyway, guys, or anyway, Phil, if uh, anybody wants to reach us, how can they do so? They can get a hold of us on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, great to hear from everybody. You know, love any ideas you guys have. Love all the likes, all the dislikes and everything like that. Uh, probably an even easier way to get a hold of us, though, is still through our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Same thing. Uh, anyone wants to, you know, share anything, uh, give us ideas, whatever. Get a hold of us there. Cody has his own Instagram account. What is that, Cody? You can follow me at Cody's Bub. Thank you, Damon. Dudes uh, followed me, sent you a message. Uh, we want to thank Kim Jong-un for sending Phil a message to make this episode. I <laughs> uh, greatly appreciate that. Um, otherwise, the last thing we ask you guys to do is log into iTunes, leave show five-star review. doesn't particularly matter what you say. Type something in there. Hit uh, submit. Just please make sure it's a five star. Kim, if you leave us one star, we understand. Um, if you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. Hit five stars. Hit submit. That's all you got to do. Thank you to everyone who's taking the time to do that for us. We greatly appreciate it. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this little uh, info seminar about North Korea. I don't think a lot of people fully understand the history and everything and it's just as bonkers as one would expect we'll see you guys next time. thanks guys